All right, let's open with a word of prayer tonight. If you uh, need a handout, those are on the back at the Welcome Center. It's also the notes are available online tonight as well. But if you need that handout, it has some prayer requests on the back, and we'll be praying over those <clears throat> in a few minutes. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer tonight. And you see there at the front, it says um, we're in the book of Habakkuk tonight. And so when we after we pray, if you think it'll take you throughout the three hymns to find the book of Habakkuk this evening and make your way there uh, tonight, we'll be studying in a new book, a new section of scripture tonight, and we're excited about that. So make sure you have your notes, and then uh, let's ask the Lord to help us this evening. Lord, we are <clears throat> grateful and thankful for your love tonight, and uh, we take it quite often for granted. We, we speak about it, and we thank you for it in our prayers, but we are often uh, ignorant of it or ignore it, choose to be distracted from it in our daily lives. And so we ask tonight that you would help us, that you guide and protect our minds, direct us to what it is that you would like to press into us tonight. Fill us with your Spirit in, in an evident way that we may feel your leading here and see your Holy Spirit, through your word, as you teach us and as you seek to encourage us, uh, a message that was given uh, to your people many years ago and now written to us as your people, the truths remain the same. And so we thank you for that. Uh, be with those that uh, cannot be here tonight, a number of people that have procedures and different things going on, lift them up, even some as they're watching or as we seek to encourage them throughout this week as a church family. Uh, guide and direct us and um, give us something this evening that will help us not just individually, but as a church. We want to do your will. Um, we want to make you known to the world. And we want to think about you rightly, and we want to wait for you with anticipation and um, help us to seek your kingdom first as we see you add everything else that we need and could desire in our lives. Help us as we sing, and uh, may it encourage our hearts tonight. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Find your place tonight, if you would, in the book of Habakkuk. And you may have to use your... Um, table of contents to find that. I should have done a sword drill. That's what I should have done and thrown chocolate at the winner. That's what I like to do with the teenagers is have them compete and then throw things at them. That's what I should have done with you all tonight. But we didn't. Uh, but maybe next week we'll see if you can get there quick and Kindle and phone readers are disqualified. That doesn't count tonight. But if you would, <clears throat> in the book of Habakkuk and if you have your notes, if you would look there, everything that you need tonight is there in your notes. Not going to really be anything on the screen this evening because there's there's a good amount of detail there as we're going to walk through. All right, so the book of Habakkuk, and you see this evening that the platform we have and throughout the auditorium we have some Christmas decorations this evening, and it's sort of the Christmas time. I I tread that carefully because I know we have some firm. December believers, that you don't move to Christmas until November is done. And so in five hours, it is officially, technically, for whoever you would like, Christmas season this evening. And uh, as we look toward the end of the year and we celebrate uh, the holiday, however you think about Christmas, and we've talked about before, it's not the exact day, almost certainly not the day exactly that Christ was born, but if there's a time that you can celebrate the fact that God kept his promise by sending a Messiah, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And many of you celebrate in different ways. And so when we think about Christmas, we don't necessarily think about the book of Habakkuk. And I'm not necessarily claiming that this is a Christmas series. But I got to this, I think the Lord kind of laid it on my heart as I was studying and reading out of the Christmas season or the Advent season, as we may call it. And you see there at the beginning of your notes, as we enter the Christmas season, we think about the church, uh, all kinds, and the church as a whole for years and years and years has celebrated 
this time that they call it of Advent, or they call it different things. It's from the Latin word Adventus, which simply just means coming. And we celebrate this time in a couple different ways. I, it's, it's the one um, holiday in our culture and time, but even within the church, that you celebrate it really over the course of the season. That's one of the reasons I think dieting is so prevalent at the beginning of the year, not just because of a fresh start, but because we celebrated for all of December and all the candies and the chocolate and the feasts that we attend and everything. I was in West Virginia last week and uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving with my family and my cousin, he's 17 years old, and he had what they call a Friendsgiving and um, I didn't know that that was a thing, and he was telling me about it. He just had a bunch of his own friends over the Saturday, I think it was, before Thanksgiving, and they had, a, a, I said, well, what's different than Thanksgiving? He says, it's the same thing. We just eat all the same stuff, and it's the same meal. It's just an excuse to have it twice, and that's kind of the way that we do it all through December. We celebrate all throughout, but why do we celebrate with that uh, spirit? It's this spirit or anticipation of something is coming. And, and you sense that even as a child, but then also as an adult, we're looking toward it, and maybe you have some time off from work and the physical aspects of celebrating, but then there's also spiritual, and we're looking toward this, this fulfillment, this promise of the Messiah that God had promised. That's kind of what we're celebrating or what we're sort of putting our minds into of Advent. But we celebrate it in two different ways. First, you see it there, we celebrate it <clears throat> by... Um, celebrating the coming, the first coming of Jesus when he fulfilled all of God's promises that a Messiah was coming. Uh, that's, we, we celebrate, we sort of put ourselves into that mindset, put yourself into that setting, the people of Israel, God's people that have been promised for so long that a Messiah would come. That they, misconception about it, they thought he was going to come set up a physical kingdom, but God's promise was far greater I'm not just going to save you from your issues on earth and your political systems and your stuff that you have dealt with and lack of food and the oppression that has come over your life. I'm going to save you from your sin. And I'm not just going to give you a better life. I'm going to give you eternal life. And all of that was fulfilled when Jesus came. And you saw all the sacrifices and all the things for all the hundreds of years. There were times where God spoke through his prophets and then there were times of God's silence and there was just this anticipation and they would have the Passover and the different feasts that they would have every year it was sort of just kind of waiting maybe next year we have this feast with with our Messiah maybe next year this has already been taken care of and they would just look one time after the next waiting for the coming Messiah and we sense that anticipation we celebrate with them that Jesus did come that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. We celebrate that at this time of Christmas, but that's not the only thing that we do. Look back to how they waited, but we also look forward as we wait. We look back and think, what must it have been like for Israel to wait for the Messiah, kind of in, in a way, in, in silence from God's audible voice and God's uh, visible leading what was it like for them to wait for that? But in reality, we are waiting now as well. For not for Jesus to first come and die on a cross, but for Jesus to come a second time and set the world right. We're in an advent of our own, if you would. And so as you see and look at the title there of the series, the book of Habakkuk, we've called it Wait For It. And you're going to see that in chapter 2, verse 3, right in the middle of the verse. God literally commands Habakkuk to wait for it. And so as we study Habakkuk, this is not necessarily a Christmas series, but I hope that it will put us in the right mindset as we wait with patience and wait with what we have called for the series, relentless faith. That's what God demands and what he, and what he requires and asks for as we wait. We're not waiting in the same way that the people of Israel were. And in a way, we're waiting in a, in a better way than the people of Israel were. But we look at back at their anticipation. They're just saying, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. It was their only hope. And yet we have seen and have heard and have God's word that that Messiah has come. 
And isn't it interesting? We, we could probably be accused of waiting with less anticipation than they did. We have Jesus himself given to us in his word. We know that he is coming again, but we sort of live our lives distracted from that, which is exactly what Israel did during their advent. And I think that you're going to see some very similar things within God's people and within the world's culture to the time of Habakkuk as well. And so if you would look at uh, verse number one, and then tonight we're going to briefly do a little bit of an overview. Um, and then you actually have like a charted overview there that you can look over as you study over these next few weeks. It's, you notice it's a very short book, maybe take you five minutes to read it. It's three pages in my Bible, might be a couple pages in yours. And I hope that over the next few weeks you'll read it, maybe once a week. I think it'd be good. It's not a very difficult book to understand, I think, as, you'll go, as we walk through. And you'll see that. So notice if you would, verse number one. It says, the burden, or the prophecy, the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. Notice his tone, how he sets it out here. Notice who he's speaking to. Unlike a lot of the other minor prophets that are often written toward God's people directly from God, notice who is speaking first. Like a lot of prophecy books or minor prophets, they will speak, thus saith the Lord, and it's word given to his people by his prophet. But notice who's speaking first. It is Habakkuk. And he is not speaking to God's people. He is first speaking to God. And so notice the tone. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity? And cause me to behold grievance, for spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. And therefore the law is slapped, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold, now here's God's reply. You're going to see, you may have that marked in your Bible. They, Give it there for clarity, but you're going to be able to notice that this is very clear. This is the Lord's response to what Habakkuk is saying. It's a conversation, and it's written almost in a poem form of lament. And now God responds, verse 5. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. Be amazed. For I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up for the Chaldeans. We know that that's another word for the Babylonians. That bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from, a fa from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come... All for violence, their faces shall sup as the east wind, and they shall, gather, they shall gather the captivity as sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be scorned unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. Uh, we'll, we'll stop there for a moment, and, and then we'll read the second response in just a moment. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us from it. A passionate book from a, a burdened prophet, but a glorious response from our God. And so help us to see that tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to walk back through the portion of Scripture that we just read. And I think that as we listen to Habakkuk, we're going to hear questions. He's going to ask questions that are probably very similar to questions that we even ask today. I, it's amazing almost how mirrored this is. Society, there's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes tells us. Society just sort of repeats, or if you want a, a more descriptive term, sometimes just regurgitates itself over and over and over again. And you're going to see the prophet speaking to God in a, in a lamenting tone, and he's going to ask questions, and he's going to point out things 
that are probably very similar to feelings that if we would really dig deep inside, we would also voice ourselves even today. And then we're going to read God's answer to those like we just did. And we're going to learn about God's character from it. And I hope that it'll be helpful to us. We're going to kind of blitz through a very quick overview. I don't think there's a lot that needs to be belabored about the setting of Habakkuk in the last couple of years. We have studied portions of Scripture. We studied Jeremiah. We studied Daniel kind of around the Babylonian time period, the culture, what was going on in Israel. So we won't rehash all of that, but I want you to notice a few things. Number one, in the overview, look, it says, who's the author? Well, that's pretty easy. Number one, verse one, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. What do we know about, the, about Habakkuk the prophet? Outside of these three or four pages, literally nothing. The Bible doesn't really tell us a lot, but this is a prophet that was to Israel's people, and evidently his message was written down. It was carried by God's people and eventually put into God's word because it is God's word to his people and to us today. His name means embrace or embraced. And if you read, if you study behind many people, some there's been some conjecture made that Habakkuk might have been the son of the Shunammite woman, the woman that Elisha came to and she fed him, she did different things, and then he raised her son uh, to life. There are some people that have made that conjecture. It, in my opinion, it's a big stretch. It would be a beautiful picture, and it would be a very interesting story. They take it from one phrase that's said in that story where it refers to him that he is going to be embraced, and it's almost the same word. Uh, you have to really stretch, I think, to get there. One day when all is settled and we're dwelling in eternity with God's people, if the Habakkuk is the same young man that was raised to life, I think that would be super cool. But I have no bearing on which to anchor that truth. So if you've heard that or you've seen that somewhere, there's really not a lot to it other than just that word. But that word is where they get that. Notice the setting. The book was written just before the destruction of Judah by Babylon uh, around 600 B.C. It could have really taken place in, in about a 30-year time span, maybe between the two destructions of Jerusalem, incomplete and then complete. It could have been before some of those things. Remember how Jeremiah just continually warned God's people over and over and over, destruction is coming. If you don't forsake your political allies and turn back to God, you're going to be destroyed. This is right, Habakkuk's right in the middle of all of that. And he is speaking to God first. You see that. It's a little different in the setting. Ju uh, Judah has been absorbed by personal sin and national pride. Individually, the people are just riddled with idolatry and rejection of God. Nationally, they're so desperate to try to establish themselves as God's glorious nation that they think they have to do it on their own by making allies between different political forces, Babylon and Egypt, and they can't ever seem to pick the right one because they weren't picking their God. Then notice, Babylon strengthens itself. A lot of different prophets warn Israel that destruction is coming. And into that, we have this theme of Babylon. You see the chapters there are written as sort of lament. They're very, if you hold them side by side, it's very psalm-like, actually, like some of the psalms. And there's this conversation back and forth between Habakkuk, the prophet, and God in what the prophet addresses. And isn't interesting... Sometimes we would, we would look at a conversation like this and we might look at Habakkuk and say, how dare he speak to God like that? But in actuality, it's a good example for us that Habakkuk has deep concern about what's going on in his people and what's going on in the world. And who does he address? He addresses God. And he does not hide his feelings from God. He does not hide what he thinks from God. He is not blasphemous or disrespectful in how he speaks, but he speaks what he feels in his heart. That is a great example for how we should go to God in prayer. Just the discourse that we should have with him about our hearts and lives. And he addresses God on this, his perceived inaction about God doing his will and plan on the earth. Habakkuk looks at God and says, it doesn't seem like you're, you're doing what you said you're going to do. And so he, see, he perceives that God is being inactive, and he's trying to prod God. Again, not in a disrespectful way, saying, God, you must do this, 
But he asks it in a question, God, why won't you work in a certain way? And then notice he asks questions in the first few verses like how long and why. And then God in his answers, you're going to see, we're going to cover two of those this week. God in his answers reestablishes that regardless of circumstance, he is still to be trusted. In fact, we're going to skip, we're going to eventually get there. But look if you would at verse number three, kind of the heart of the book contains the heart of the message. Notice God's real response to Habakkuk when he says, God, what is going on in this world? Verse number three, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. He says, what I, all these visions, all these prophecies, they still have a moment that they're going to happen. But at the end, it shall speak. Kind of, you know, old different adages and phrases that the uh, to the victor goes the spoil, the one last one standing wins, you know, kind of thing. And it's kind of that tone. At the end, my, my truth, my plan is going to be the thing that's left standing. Notice, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, and here's the core of Habakkuk's message, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. He says, though it is delayed, and though you don't see it happening, wait for it. Because it is coming. You can hear already the message of hope. God then teaches that regardless, verse 4, of religion, regardless of whether you're Jewish or you're Babylonian, your your sin is not hidden from God. And it's going to be judged. Prideful people will be humbled. And when it's all said and done, God responds with his word. Habakkuk's response is praise. And shouldn't that be the case for our lives? We, we come to God with what's going on in our hearts and minds. Lord, what is happening? And we're content with his response for us through his word. And then we praise him when he responds in that way. I want you to notice, if you would, the application section. We're often discouraged by the world and other Christians and our own lives, our own sin. But we are encouraged by this book to look to God as we wait for our own moment of Advent, of God's second coming. And here are the main ideas that we want to establish. You say, well, I don't know what the book of Habakkuk has for me. And truthfully, if you sat down 30 minutes ago and just picked a place in the Bible and read through three chapters of Habakkuk, you might be wondering the same thing. As I was sort of glancing around, I thought, how are we going to, how does this apply? Here are just six statements that I think are taught in Habakkuk. And just ask yourself tonight, Would any of these be helpful lessons for your heart in the next few weeks? Number one, God's ways are not like my own, but he can be trusted. Number two, life can seem chaotic, but God is still in control. All of these taught in Habakkuk. Number three, God wants what's best for me, but sometimes it can be very hard. Number four, I may not understand God's plan, but he still demands my trust. Number five, God is the source of peace and joy, and I am not meant to find that through my circumstances or through my surroundings. And number six, my timing is irrelevant, but God's timing is always perfect. Now, think about that for a moment. Would it be encouraging in these next few weeks for yourself first And then maybe for someone else, another person that's a part of our church or somebody that you're a friend of or uh, somebody that you're witnessing to, would would these truths be helpful in your heart and life over these next few weeks, any time of the year, but especially as we look to this Christmas season? And if they are, let's seek by God's word and by God's spirit to learn these and to find them and to anchor ourselves in his truth. Notice the second, it's it's the second point that is overview. This is not my own overview. I was kind of searching for a way to kind of help you visualize it. This is the best one that I could come across. I looked at around a different number of them, and this is helpful. It is small print, though, so when you get home with your magnifying glass, you can study this out a little bit more. We won't walk all the way through this section of the season. This is sort of to help you study, but I want you to notice the direction in the middle, right there in the middle. It kind of breaks it down by chapters at the top and where, where the things are. It's just a little summary. But notice his confession and, and then the direction. He says in the first chapter, Lord, you're confusing me. Then as he's taught, Lord, I'm waiting for you. Then, Lord, I will praise you. And then notice the direction. He's first looking around and worrying. Then he is called to look up and listen. 
And finally, he's called to look ahead and believe. And that should be the goal for our lives through this study. That if we're looking around the world this week, worrying about our own lives and about what's going on everywhere else and about the circumstances that have risen up in my heart and in my life, my days that I'm living, I can look around and worry. And that's a natural response. But God, if I'm a believer, is calling me to look up and listen to him. And when I do, it'll change my focus to where I'm looking forward, ahead, and believing that whether it is at the end of my life or whether he returns during my life, that God is in control and he will keep his promise. That brings us to the text. And let's spend the last few minutes tonight just walking through this first chapter or so of the book. There may be some overlap that will kind of happen each week. Like this week, we'll cover down through chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Next week, we may kind of go back to a couple of the last verses of chapter 1 and then proceed forward. But I want you to notice sort of how things are introduced. Habakkuk has this conversation with the Lord. And you see that Habakkuk first speaks to God in prayer. And I want us to notice God responds to Habakkuk. He's willing to teach him because Habakkuk does not come to God in pride declaring that he knows all. He comes to God in question, recognizing that he doesn't know all. He asks questions like, how long are you going to wait? <laughs> and why are you doing this? But in a way, that's Habakkuk's humble admission that he does not know. He doesn't come to God saying, you have to do this, you must do this. You should do this, or I'm disappointed with how you're doing it. He does express that, but he seeks God's answer. Notice he doesn't come saying, crossing his arms, saying, God, I'm disappointed and miserable, and you need to fix this. He comes to God saying, I do not understand. And I think it's interesting that God then speaks to him. And the same, do you ever feel like in your spiritual life that God is not interacting with us? He's not speaking to me personally. There's nothing, there's no, there's no part of me that's on fire with my relationship with him. Sometimes we sit back waiting. Well, God's going to be the one that has to do this. And he is the one that has to do it. But sometimes he is waiting on our voice to come to him. And sometimes he does not act in our lives because we do not come before him. And we do not pray. And notice Habakkuk's first prayer, verses 1 through 4. And notice the two questions that he brings right out of the bat. Verse number 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? How long do I have to cry out that you're just not going to listen? Notice, even cry unto thee violence. He says, I'm crying out to you about something serious. This isn't just my own petty needs this something is wrong and you notice he says and thou wilt not save H how long do i have to ask you for something that you won't give how long do i have to tell you about something that's wrong that you won't interact with me it's a good question notice the second question why do you force me to see injustice and and why do you force me to see wrong things in this world notice you see it in verse three why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? It's kind of a, a legal term that something wasn't done properly. It's not been done right. And so Habakkuk's two questions are, how long do I have to talk that you won't listen? And let me point out, God, that, that what I'm having to see over and over is, is wrong. It's sinful. He, he is calling. He properly views what's going on around him. I want you to notice the complaints that he lists. This is sort of what prompts the questions. And I want you, I just sort of summarize them below. We're going to go back and read the verses in a moment. <laughs> but if you had to cry out to God tonight and says, right now at your seat, kneel here at this altar and cry out to God about your own life and about your society and the world that you live in and cry out with your complaints to God and tell him what's going on in this world, Notice what we find listed in verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read the kind of summary, and then we'll go back and check the verses. Oppression and violence, constant strife and conflict. God's law is being neglected and ignored. There is injustice and delayed justice. 
There is corrupt leadership and righteous people are being restricted. Now, does that sound like he prayed that in 600 BC or 2022? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> oh, both, yes. The answer is yes, both. Notice what he lists in verses 3 and 4. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to hold grievance? Now it says, for spoiling and violence are before me. That word spoiling, it's the idea literally of taking spoil when you've defeated someone. He's kind of giving the picture. There are some that are above. Now remember, Babylon has not invaded yet. So this description in verses 3 and 4 is not about Babylon. In fact, Babylon, it hasn't really registered with Israel that they're a threat. They think Babylon's a friend. Verse 3 and 4, who is it describing? Not the world. It's describing God's people. <laughs> it's describing Israel. And he says, here's what I see. There's this spoiling. People are taking and using and abusing others. There's violence. It says, they, there, 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 are, there are that raise up strife and contention. Uh, this uh, conflict between each other. Verse 4. Therefore, the law is slack. Notice he's almost kind of blaming God a little bit here. He, he's, he's saying, God, I've cried out and you haven't listened. And you've waited and, and you've allowed these things to happen. Therefore, the law, your law is slacked, meaning it is ignored, it's neglected, it's delayed. It's not happening. And judgment doth never go forth. He says, we, we think we're going to get things right. And we just, it just doesn't ever happen. For the wicked... Do compass about the righteous. He's saying they've restricted. Those that really want to follow you are restricted by those that will not. And therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. It actually, the word, therefore, wrong judgment, it almost it means perverted judgment. It's, your, your law is being twisted into things that it shouldn't be. Now, what an accusation and a prayer and a complaint that Habakkuk just gave. You ever... Feel your heart seeing these same things. Yes, obviously in society and in our world, our culture, our community, our country. But even in our own hearts personally sometimes. Of our own doing. We struggle through these same things. But that's Habakkuk's complaint. And it could be our complaint today. Lord, look around. Don't you see? As we come to Christmas in 2022, yay, everyone's... Jolly, but the world is lost. There is oppression. There is violence. There is mistreatment of people around the world, all over the place. Your law is ignored. People that don't want anything to do with you are restricting those that actually really want to follow you. God, this is the opposite of what your world is supposed to look like. Your kingdom is, is supposed to be the opposite of this. And now notice God's response. It's interesting. He's going to get to some spiritual application in a minute. But notice his response, verse 5. Behold, you now among the heathen. Look around at the heathen, at the other nations. Regard, pay attention, and be amazed. Wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Now what he's about to tell them would have been shocking. Now there already have been some prophecies. I think that because of God's tone here, this, Habakkuk's probably written a little before even the first destruction. I think they don't quite know everything that's coming. They haven't seen Babylon become their enemy yet. Because he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and you, you won't believe it. And then he goes, proceeds to tell him. It's not something amazing in the sense of praying the world's going to be better. He says, behind the scenes, Habakkuk, I'm raising up a nation. I'm raising up these people called the Chaldeans, Babylonians. And they are going to come in and minister God's justice and judgment over God's people. Why would Habakkuk not have believed it? Because God is saying sinful, evil, wicked people are going to be used to bring judgment and get the attention of God's people. Do you hear, do you hear God's message even today? That evil and wicked people that God can use even evil and, and wicked people to get the attention of his people, of his own people. And notice what he says in these verses. He demands first Habakkuk's attention. Verses 5 and 6, he says, I'm still doing a work, and you should be amazed, but you're missing it. Verse 6, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans 
And then notice his description here. And God is going to display his character by his description. And when you first read this, verses 6 down through verse 11, they may not really like rock your soul and register inside, like, oh my goodness, look at how great our God is, because it just is sort of speaking more about Babylon. It's God's description of Babylon. But what do we learn about God in his description? One good thing that helped me as I was studying this, these verses is, okay, God is speaking in verses 5 through 11, and just walk through, take a little notebook or something, just walk through and just write out verse 5. What does God say about himself in this verse? Verse 7, what does God say about himself in this verse? What is God saying? Not what is this God saying about Babylon. What is he saying about himself? Notice what we find, verse 6, that God is not ignorant of sin. His first description of Babylon, he says, I'm going to fix Israel's sin problem. I'm going to fix this issue. I'm going to bring judgment on them through Babylon. And they, notice he says they're bitter, they're hasty. Notice in, in, in verse 6, they're uh, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. God is not ignorant of sin, but neither has God confused or changed his promises. Think about if you're Habakkuk. And, and you say, God, how long are you going to wait for this? What's what going to be your response? And God's response is, I'm going to take the land of Israel. I'm going to give it to an evil nation. That is not what I expected, says Habakkuk. <laughs> Please repeat, what was your plan again? Because this does not make sense. It seems to be counterintuitive to what God's plan would be. But notice, God is not confused or changed his promise. How do we know that? Because he doesn't say he's giving the land to Babylon eternally. Notice the end of verse 6. They're going to possess dwelling places, notice this phrase, that are not theirs. God's not saying, I'm going to remove this from you and you never get it back. God's saying, I, I know what evil they're going to do. This doesn't belong to them. But then notice that neither does God condone evil. This is important truth. As, you, as the world looks at our God and they say, well, how can he do this? Or how can bad things happen in this world? He does not condone their evil. Notice in verse 7, they are terrible, they are dreadful. Notice he says, their judgment and their dignity shall proceed out of themselves. God tells Habakkuk, don't be confused. I haven't changed my plan, and I also haven't changed my character or, or what I think is right in the world. He tells Habakkuk, don't look at these evil people and think that God has changed his mind on what's righteous and not. I see that they're terrible. I see their sin. Their justice, their righteousness, they have invented that themselves. They've invented their own system of justice. And they have decided what they think is dignified or righteous or not. Don't think that I don't see that. And God looks at our world today and would say the same thing. He doesn't condone evil. And though it is rampant around the world, and he does see it, this is not his heart. This is not his doing. Notice, he doesn't condone their sin. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. They spread themselves, their horses fly. It says the eagle is going to fly as he that hasteth to eat. What is he saying? God, he says, I see the success and power of wicked people. That's what he's saying. I, I see these things. I'm not ignorant of their sin. I'm not confused with my plan. It hasn't been thwarted. I don't condone their evil. And yes, I do see their success. And notice verse 80 goes deeper. And I also see the intent of their hearts. They say, the culture society, look at all these... We're, we're doing what's right. Good is called evil, and evil is called good. God says, no, 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 they're not allowed to change that definition. They say they're doing this for good cause. I see the intent of their heart. What is it? The end of verse number 8, he says that they're hasting to eat, devour. In verse 9, they shall, all, they shall come all for violence. I know their intent. Then notice verse 9, God also sees the suffering that it's going to cause. The end of verse uh, excuse me, in verse number 9 it says, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. That word captivity literally means prisoners. They're going to have thousands of prisoners. Not even going to be able to number them. <laughs> this is not the message Habakkuk was expecting. That God understands, verse 10, that they're mocking. They were going to scoff at kings. Princes are going to be made to scorn. They're going to deride every stronghold. You can barricade yourself in Jerusalem. They'll just wait you out and take it anyway. 
Notice the end of verse number 10, for they shall heap dust and they'll take it. They're going to conquer the world and it's going to be like a child playing in a sandbox. But God says, I see this. I see that they're mocking, but notice verse 11. Then shall his mind change and shall pass over, don't miss this word in the middle, and offend. That word offend is directly linked to the concept of guilt, like being guilty before something. He says, imputing this power, his power into his God, they're going to say they're being blessed by God because of all of this. It's going to be a mockery. They're going to blaspheme. But I will not hold them guiltless. Now, this is not the response. Like, we want to pray, God, what are you doing in this world? We want to be like, just a second, I'm going to make it all right. And God says, I'm going to send wicked people to conquer your nation. And your lives are going to get worse. But I want you to know, I'm not ignorant of sin, nor do I condone it. I'm not confused, and I have not failed. I see the success and power. I see the intent of wicked people. I see the suffering that it causes. I understand that they are mocking me, but I am keeping tabs, and unless they repent, there will be guilt for them as well. It's the character and nature of God. It's beautiful to hear God describe himself. When you first read this, it sounds so uh, jarring. God says, I have not forgotten. Now notice Habakkuk's second prayer, and we'll come back to this next week, so we'll just barely cover it, because that's all I want to get to verse 3 here at the end. Notice his second prayer. He recognizes God's righteousness and his sovereign plan in verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? Don't you see all for all of eternity? We shall not die. I get that, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. He says, I understand. You're going to use Babylon to correct us. But let me point something out, verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. He says, you can't. God, I know that you don't, you don't like sin. Wherefore, in other words, how, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? What is Here's, here is his response. We are not nearly as bad as Babylon. That, that's his response. <laughs> God says, I'm going to use them to bring judgment on you because you won't follow me. And his response is, yes, but they're so much worse than we are. Verse 14, he goes on and he gives this description. He gives his description of Babylon. He says, God, you made a very good description of Babylon, but let me, let me just point out a few other things. They makest men, or it says, uh, makest men as the fishes of the sea and as the creeping things that have rule over them. He says, they treat people like animals. They take up all of them with an angle that catch them in their net. They gather them in their drag and they rejoice and be glad. What does it mean? They, they, they capture people in pride. Then they worship the wrong thing. Verse 16, they make a sacrifice unto their net. They think that their system, they think that, the, that what they're doing is blessed because of how successful it is, because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? He says, there's no one that's going to stop them. And so his response to God is, but Babylon is really, really bad. And notice God's final response to him. And, and by the way, can't you hear yourself arguing with God about people around you? God is talking to you tonight about, and me, our church, about our own hearts and our own lives and how we have felt toward him and how we have responded toward him. And isn't that the case of God? God convicts in our heart that we're not following him the way that we should, and our response is to look at others that don't follow him and say, but they're so much worse. And we look at society. They treat people like animals. Sound familiar? They capture people, and in pride, they rejoice when they do what's wrong, and nothing can stop them, God. Notice his response, verse 2. Verse 1, Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand on the tower and wait for your answer. He, is, he thinks that he is waxed eloquent. I don't know, wrong. I don't think he thinks he's anything prideful here. He just, he's having this conversation. But then verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. 
It won't be delayed forever. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And then we won't get into it tonight, but if you go through the next few uh, verses down to the end of chapter 2, God turns his eyes and he describes his own people. <laughs> he says, Habakkuk, you're defending yourself in front of me. And you are saying, but we're so much better than everyone else. And God turns and he looks at Habakkuk and he says, but I'm not comparing you with everyone else. You're compared to me. You're my people. You're supposed to live in my righteousness. And, and God gives him this presentation. He says, look, what does it matter if you do the Passover and you go to your synagogue and you sacrifice at the temple, but your heart's not with me? Or if you run around treating people like animals in demonic ways and you blaspheme and mock God, which one is worse? <laughs> the people that know God and live in a way contrary to him or the people that don't know God and live in a way contrary to him? God says both groups are going to be humbled before me. And then he gives the opportunity to repent. I want you to look at this tonight and let's be encouraged by it. The book of Habakkuk, it's a short little book, but it's not meant to discourage us by what's going on around us. It's meant to encourage us. And I wish we had time to run all the way through it tonight because it gets so much better, but we don't. You read it tonight in the next few weeks as we walk through. But if you don't hear anything else tonight, hear this. God sees your life and he sees this world, and he knows. He is not confused. He has not changed his plan. He is not condoning sin and evil that is controlling you or the, or the world around you or influencing your life, nor is he excusing your sin. And so the message of God tonight is he sees and he hears, and he is telling us, just wait. Just wait. And while you're waiting, repent and follow me. Repent and follow me. And the message can be the same. He, he's pointing Habakkuk to the coming Messiah in Jesus. And this passage, this book is pointing us to the second coming of Christ in just the same way. The world around us can respond just like Habakkuk's world. And God is saying, trust me and wait. Trust me and wait. And he says, and while you are, follow me. And he encourages us to do the same this evening, and we'll walk through the rest of the book that ultimately leads to the praise of God by His people. Let's ask Him to help us tonight, and we'll spend a few our last few moments in prayer. Lord, thank You for Your Word. It is rich. And um, we are quick to point fingers at others and see the issues around us. And we are slow to look at ourselves. And uh, we ask you to forgive us of that. We ask you to prompt us to repent of it. We want to follow you, but we need your power to do even that. And so tonight, may we hear this message, your word to your prophet that described, not, you weren't just describing evil people, you were describing yourself. And so may we see that tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if you would there, look at your prayer section tonight. We'll spend a little bit of time together as we close. And again, I hope we don't take this for granted during each week. The thing about the fact that Habakkuk stood before the Lord and said, Lord, man, listen, listen, please. And the Lord does. And so we're thankful for that praying some different ways listed. You can pray for our church and our ministries. A number of other people that are listed there are still continuing to pray for Grace Dowdy and her family. And uh, Henry's here tonight and praying for him as well. And then uh, Mrs. Watson and uh, John Dorsey Sr. And, and some of these that have been here for a number of weeks, let's continue to re remember them in prayer. Uh, several have asked about Peggy Wharton. She, is, she has been at home and she's recovering. Uh, had a, a number of issues going on, COVID and an infection and some different things, and but she's recovering. We're thankful for that. Um, we put the note on there last week, a couple weeks ago, about Margaret Nichols with being diagnosed with cancer, and uh, she's not taking visits at this time, but we'll take calls, and so we um, write a card and encourage them and their family. 
Um, Ken Smith's having shoulder surgery tomorrow, and if you would, a couple names to add in there. Um, we put Earl Sharon is, is in the hospital at Memorial <clears throat> Regional. Um, some heart issues and a number of things. You know, he's been struggling with dementia, but he's, he's there under uh, their care right now. So if you would, um, pray for him as well. And um, I know that there's, feel like there's one that I'm forgetting. Uh, ask you to forgive me if that's the case. That may be it. But if you would, add Earl uh, Sharon's name on there as well. All right, uh, let's spend some time together tonight as families and as couples and uh, praying over these requests, but then also praying over the message tonight, asking the Lord to uh, help us as we wait for Him and in this use this Christmas season to, to point our minds toward what He's going to do for us in the future. And let's spend a few moments in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Forgive me if I interrupt your prayer for just a moment. I remembered the other one. I don't want to forget. If you would um, write down Guillermo's name, um, his brother. We mentioned a couple weeks ago, his brother Axel was involved in a motorcycle accident. He's 14 years old, still lives in Guatemala, and uh, suffered a, just a number of injuries. But fortunately, all of those do seem to be healing. It did not look good at first. Was, uh, they were worried about brain injury, and there was some internal bleeding and damage to his pancreas and a number of things and so if you would pray for him and it's a very unique situation because um, hospitals are very different doctors administer direct care and nurses administer what they qualify as necessary care and everything else the family has to do um, <clears throat> while they're there and the family can't stay in the hospital they kind of have to wait outside go in for a certain amount of time and back and forth so Guillermo actually flew there last week and was trying to help his mom um, as she kind of cares for him and has been there. He's planning on flying home in the next day or so. And so if you would pray for Guillermo's travel, but then also praying for Axel is his name, and then for his family. Guillermo's been trying to witness to them for some time, uh, but I had that written down on the other side and, and forgot to mention it for you. So let's spend the last couple of minutes in prayer, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed.